Blog Talk Radio. Hey, Blog Talk listeners, Tom Hayes here on a Wednesday, February 17th. I can't believe winter is flying by like it is, but this is a very exciting uh, show for me. That's my music for my my main show, which is uh, Act of the Sugar Shack. We're going to talk to about... Uh, Great uh, soul music club here in America during the 60s and 70s, and we're trying to make it a feature-length film. But today, we have a miracle. We have a mother and daughter, <laughs> teenage daughter, who wrote a novel together. And, and I've had Sarah Newton on a few times, and she's an extraordinary woman. And boy, if, uh, any, uh, if you've earned anything as far as being the unconventional parent, I, I, I can't wait to get Bronte's input. Bronte Huskinson <laughs> is the co-author of a book called Never Mind My Thigh Gap. I didn't know there was such a thing. <laughs> I never judged my oh, women yeah. on their thigh gap. <laughs> I, the usual, the first place we look is not there. It might be the second or third, but uh, it's certainly not the first. So I uh, I was thrilled. Um, you know, I see this as a movie. I I, I think uh, uh, it, it may be the next Bridget Jones, but it's absolutely fabulous. I'm going to read um, what the description on Amazon is. One ordinary girl, one extraordinary moment. And uh, these are the three things every, everything notices about Alice. Her super hot rugby, rugby boyfriend, her sophisticated, totally gorgeous best friend, her very noticeable 38-inch long legs. Alice is tall, just under six feet to be exact, but her self-esteem couldn't be smaller. When a relationship starts wavering, Alice's perfect... Lee, beautiful best friend, somehow convinces her to join a modeling competition, quote, for a confidence boost. But Alice is just a normal girl. She loves ice cream too much, has an unhealthy addiction to American TV, and lusts after the elusive thigh gap. <laughs> she can't even walk in heels, let alone a bikini, but she finds herself joining runway models anyway. The finale is final. Yeah, finale is only a few months away. Will Ellis catwalk her way to self-confidence or fail, proving everyone right? People can surprise you, and I think that is a great um, thing. Now, I want to know is other than the miracle of two, a mother and a teenage daughter working together, who came up with the uh, with the idea of in the title? Ooh, ooh. Um. I think you let me go first. Yeah, yeah, I think I came up with the title, but actually this is loosely based on an experience that Bronte went through. Actually, so the story was sort of there, but I think I I came up with the with the title. Bronte, maybe you can tell the story. Yeah, um, when I was sixteen, uh, I decided to enter enter a uh, modelling competition, like Alice did, to help with my self confidence. Uh huh. Now, first of all, I want to compliment an article you wrote recently uh, about uh, why schools should pay attention to introverts. Oh, yes. And I kept looking for that in the book, but I found uh, Alice is not what you call an introvert. Am I right? Um, I, I think she could be classed like I'm. An, I'm an introvert, but I uh, I went and did what I did with the modeling competition. I think introverts 
can just come in all different shapes, really. Yeah, okay, well, I'm sure of that. But, you know, throughout <laughs> the book, she certainly uh, she certainly doesn't hold back when she needs to speak her mind. Yeah, yeah, she she does get a lot more confident with herself as she goes on during the book. But in the beginning, she's very sort of timid. And it, I think the, the fact that she speaks her mind later on in the book just shows how she's grown as a person. Yeah. Now, I was kind of, um, you know, reading Sarah's uh, blogs throughout the past couple of years. I was kind of surprised. I thought it was going to be a, a total diatribe against uh, uh, modeling and fashion and all of that. But you took that event, that modeling event, I think, and gave it a very positive spin in that it was, you know, not something to... Uh, make a statement about this is the perfect body or this is, you know, not the perfect body. But you took it as a challenge, as a, as a mountain to climb, uh, a personal, uh, you know, conquest and, and triumph, and and uh, saw it as that and not as something that is denigrates uh, females. So how did that happen? Because um, mm. I, I, I've never really identified with curvy women. I'm very very thin and straight up and down so I thought like there's loads of stuff on social media about how being thin is really bad and people are keep on bodying, body shaming thin people and I was just thinking like why is this happening so I just thought that I need to sort of be comfortable with who I am as a person and modeling is probably a good way to do that because it's showing my body off to everyone saying I'm comfortable with myself. Yeah and I think one of the things that was fascinating about the um, the whole journey was the discipline involved and the skill set to first of all put yourself in public. I'm an entertainer and I know what it's like to be alone on the stage. And virtually you are alone. I mean, even though you're in a in a show or a competition and there are other people around, it's all about you when you're on that stage, right? You're alone and you're you're uh, you're exposed. Oh, yeah, yeah, you, you, def- you definitely are. When you first walk on, you can feel everyone looking at you. You just sort of look ahead and sort of try to ignore it and just sort of thinking this is, this is a good thing that I'm doing. And... Yeah, so what, tell, tell me about, because uh, Sarah and I talk about this a lot, tell me about the fear component and what you went through it, when you went through the competition. It, it was definitely the most terrifying thing. <laughs> That I've ever done. <laughs> um, I've never, like, <laughs> I, like, and what I'd... was? I mean, we have all. There's all kinds of different fears. There's the fear. I, Sarah, and I talk about it a lot of times. It's not so much the fear of failure sometimes, but the fear of success. But I think I can only think that it's like, you know, doing stand-up comedy or public speaking. It's the number one fear, and I think trying to imagine not that I would ever be on a runway in a, a, a modeling competition, but I'm trying to imagine it must be, abs- I mean, you're right. I mean, you're out there in a bikini or, you know, in, in a formal wear, whatever, but, you know, you, uh, you're widely exposed. You're vulnerable. I mean, did you feel that? Uh, yeah. When I was first, was just about to go on my first walk, I remember sort of standing there just thinking I can't do this I need to turn around and go back but as soon as you got the fear just sort of went away it was it's quite difficult to describe because you're sort of in the moment and you're just thinking oh wow I feel great as you're walking down it it just sort of all goes away yeah, yeah I, you I know a lot of people that, go ahead Sarah 
Yeah, no, I'm thinking in that second to last chapter of the book, which is where we're describing Alice walking out onto the catwalk. That was actually the first chapter that we wrote. Um, Great. Uh, and that is all real. I mean, that I, you know, what you're seeing, you know, what you're hearing Alice, well, well, Weedon and Alice saying to herself and what's happening backstage, I think that was really how you were feeling, wasn't it, Bronte? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> It, what a so what a beautiful you know, way to real. start yeah start writing is to write you know I'm writing a novel myself right now and I found that the toughest part was the ending so what a great way to I did you by doing that by writing the last chapter first uh, it must have been uh, first of all phenomenal because it gave you a target on how to write everything else yes no. Yeah, well, I think with this it was slightly different because it was based on, on loosely based on what had happened. We knew what the end was. You know, the end was her, you know, walking out into the into the catwalk, and the journey was her being able to to do that. So I think it probably was a little bit easier. I mean, the very last chapter, the one after that, was was written right at the end when when we'd realised that then we needed to sum up some relationships. But um, but I think you know, I always. I think, you know, if you are writing a novel, what you need to know for sure is how it begins, <laughs> the actual ending, because you've got to know what, what arc your character's, you know, the journey that your character's taking. And I think if you know the beginning and the end, the rest of it can often write itself. But I think you've got to know where that character's going um, and, and what you're aiming for um, or else you know, they, they've got, you know, there's no journey that you share with them. And I think, um, you know, that's what we really wanted to, to get across in the book, which is why Alice starts off, actually, as a little bit of a a kind of walkover, I guess, and a pushover. And she gets really irritating in the first half of the book. Um, I remember when I was editing it, I almost wanted to kill her, you know. <laughs> Go get a life, get a backbone, you know. Um, but then you see her slightly start start to change. So I, I guess it it was a little different. We always knew where, you know, the ending, because the ending had actually happened in real life. <laughs> now, well, now what was it like for you? I can only imagine, you know, uh, I've, I have two, I went through the teenage years with my two daughters, and, I know how explosive that can get. I mean, there's just rampant hormones going crazy every day. You know, it's like dealing with a chemistry set. I mean, so this must have just added so much drama, I mean, in real life, right? Yeah, well, I, th- I think that, you know, Bronte was getting quite a bit of stick for being, um, you know, thinner. And it was really irritating her, you know, she and she was just coming home you know, like exhausted and frustrated by the whole thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, I said, well, how are you going to make this positive? And that's when we figured out that this is what she wanted to do. I have to say, you know, I had reservations, but, you know, because Bronte was not the sort of child and probably isn't now even that you would think would ever walk down a catwalk, you know, ever. She's very quiet, very introverted, um, you know, not a party animal, you know, doesn't really like being looked at <laughs> or anything. Yeah, yeah. And, yes. <laughs> So, I'm, you know, I made sure, I think, that she absolutely thought it was the right thing and made it very clear that, you know, if you do this, you can't pull out. You know, there's no pulling out. You've got to see it through to the end. And there were tears. There were, you know, there were times <laughs> where she really didn't think she could get through it and make it. And I remember, you know, looking at her on the on the final day, you know, the day on the final, and she just looked 
petrified before she actually did it. But, um, you know, it was... But I knew it wasn't my journey. This was hers, and I had to let her take it by herself and, and stand back and only intervene if necessary. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, it's a big... And you were only 16, Bronte. Um, yeah, I was 16. You know, you know I, I have to say this, though. A lot of comedians are introverts. I mean, famous people like Steve Martin, Johnny Carson, um, and they come alive when they're on stage, and that's the only time they really come alive. So I can see an introvert being, something must have drawn, what was it that drew you to this? What, 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 what was the fascination? What was the impulse? I don't really know. I just sort of think, like, what's the best way to get over my body image issues? And I couldn't think of anything better than modeling, really. Great. And now, yeah. have you done any modeling since? No, I haven't. No, I don't feel feel like I needed to because I felt comfortable with myself. It was never about the whole sort of modeling thing. It was just about to feel comfortable with who I was. Great. And do you feel that you you achieved that result? You're more comfortable now? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely, yeah. Um, I'm definitely a lot more comfortable with who I am now and how I look, yeah. You know, I, I you gave me the right answer because, um, and I think Sarah and I, we've <laughs> talked about this before in our previous podcast, by virtue of the fact that you said you didn't know tells me that there's something deeper, that the unknown component of who we are, the hero within or the heroine within, uh, picks out these moments for us. And we seem to be, I never wanted to be a comedian, and yet here I am a comedian, and you just find that somehow these you just have these urges that you can't explain. Do you feel that was part of it, that it was just something you had to do? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, 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 sort of, I look back at it now and just think, how, how, did I, how did I get to that point where I thought this is what I'm going to do? And I just thought it must have been just sort of a natural compulsion to do that. What do you, what's your take on it, Sarah? I mean, I love that when she said, I don't know, because when I, when I, people tell me, I ask people, you know, especially we talked about the law of attraction things, people tell mm-hmm. me, well, I want this. And I, I start to ask, well, where did you get that idea? Where did you get that urge? And mm-hmm. I said, well, I saw it on television. I said, well, I said, first of all, if it's coming from your head, you're probably not going to get it. Or if you do get it, you're going to find out it's not really what you wanted. But if it comes from your gut and your heart, and it sounds like what you're saying, Bronte, is it came somewhere from your gut. Yeah, yeah, it definitely did. Great. Good for you. Sarah, you want to comment on that? Yeah, um, I'm just having a little bit of a coughing fit. Just bear with me one minute. <laughs> You're allowed. Yeah, okay, now I'm back now. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, as well, I'm, you know, as you know, I'm the type of parent that would never panic when something was, was going wrong and instead would look at it as an opportunity. And and so, in, you know, instead of going, oh, there, there, you know, you're, you're fine, you look great, I said, well, you know, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to make this into a positive experience? And and this is what Bronte felt would make it into a positive experience for her. Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, again, you know, with so much uh, bashing of the model's body and, you know, this is the perfect and the, the whole Barbie concept and everything else, it was... Um, I thought it was brilliant that, you know, you could look at something like this and not judge it 
as good or bad, but just as this was a personal mountain to climb, and, you know, you took it on, and, and bravo, you did it. You know, big. Yeah, it was great fun. Great. Yeah, she did, yep. and I think that, actually, for me, what's really interesting about it, um, from a different perspective, is that, you know, we're always talking about, like, beauty competitions and things like that, and how... And degrading they are to women, and how you know it putting women on you know like it's like a cattle market and things like that, but actually for for Bronte, it was a very empowering um experience it wasn't degrading at all, it was something that she chose to do and found it very empowering, so I think what we probably have to stop doing in the whole sort of female body image arena or female empowerment is just stop pretending that we all know what's right for everyone. Exactly. Well, you know, that's the part. What I was ready for, just by virtue of the title, was exactly that, that this was going to be, you know, an opportunity to bash that, uh, you know, conventionality. And and instead, it took on a very healthy, uh, in spite of everything that Alice went through, it took on Mm. a very healthy, um, you know, outcome. Yeah, absolutely. We, you know, we didn't, I think that what we wanted to do was create something that felt real, um, that had a real character in it. You know, I mean, Alice is, is a flawed teenager, you know, and, and I remember when we gave it to the first editor who looked at it, she just said, this character's, you know, you've got to rewrite her. She's wrong. She's just not aspirational. And, and I refused to, because I said, no, actually we want a normal girl that people can, can relate to you know someone that's just you, you know you might know at school not someone that's like Katniss Everdeen or something you know not with anything wrong with that but we wanted something that felt real and I think that um you know that we got that across despite what even you know the the essence is yes it's you know the the story seems bizarre that she lacks confidence that she enters a model competition but actually in reality this is a, a teenage girl doing something that frightens her and getting through it yeah, and that's that all came together beautifully uh, in the last couple of chapters. Uh, I found mm-hmm. myself, uh, you know, really being sold in those last couple of cha- chapters. I really saw the maturation. You know, you and I, Sarah, talk about the hero's journey, the heroine's journey, and this mm-hmm. truly is. Uh, you see this, uh, you know, Alice in the opening scenes, she's, uh, you're, you're right, she's just a typical teenager. She's... You know, got all the conflicts in school. There's the the the, the, <laughs> the the so-called friend, and uh, you know the boyfriend, and she's got a lot to discover through all of that. Was any of that autobiographical, Bronte? Mm, not not really. No, most of her school stuff was very much fictional. So you don't. You've, <laughs> we've all had friends, and <laughs> a supposed friend. Come on, you must have had. <laughs> you, you wrote. Now, how did? First of all, I mean, we, let's get into the technical aspect. How do you co-write? I mean, uh, who picked the characters? Who picked? Um, you, you, obviously, the the plot was kind of, you know, based on real life. So you had that down. I mean, it actually mm-hmm. happened. So I could see that. But how, how did you split up the the writing? part of this do you want me to answer that Bronte for yeah <laughs> yeah um, okay now this was I mean we'd written a, a slight book before where we'd written it from different 
characters. So I was the boy and Bronte was the girl, but for all sorts of reasons that didn't go anywhere. Um, so for this one, um, if I'm aware, what I, what I did was write the first chapter first to get the tone of it, because I was very clear the tone of it I wanted. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think we... And because the only chapters I wrote fully are the first and the last one, if I if I remember the very last one, and then um, then obviously Bronte wrote the the you know the the last chapter about the modelling competition, which did change slightly because we added Oscar's piece in there. But what tended to happen was Bronte would write it as like a first draft, and then it would come to me, and um, I would you know, re- rewrite the bits that needed to be rewritten, add bits, change bits, and then go, actually, I love this character, let's make more of this character. Or actually, you know, we've made a huge mistake here because, you know, we haven't written a character in that can help her later on. So so it was a very, you know, we did the writing by ourselves, but there was always, you know, conversation going on um, about how we could shift it and change it. And I think what we did find is that we're both good at different things. You know, Bronte's very, very good at character. She's very good at conversation. I'm pretty good at the links between what the characters are saying and and all the feeling stuff. So actually, we tend to sort of complement each other. And and we didn't really have any disagreements about about the um, the plot or anything because I guess we sort of just make each other better writers. Actually, which is a really nice thing thing I think. Yeah, I mean that definitely comes through. The, <clears throat> the dialogue is brilliant, so um, you know, kudos to that. It flows, it's real. Uh, you know, it's um, uh, well. I guess the, the the question is, you you know, that you had this desire to do the the competition that came from your gut. How did how did whose idea was the the novel? I mean, how did that come? Mm. How did that process come about? Oh, um, hmm. um, yeah, I don't know, dude, I can't remember I when we decided. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Even more of what I wanted to hear. Yeah. <laughs> Bronte has always been a writer, you know. I mean, when other kids were out playing in the sun, she'd be scribbling, you know, or, or tapping away on a laptop. So she's always been a writer. So we knew that that was what she always wanted to do. And when we were doing the the uh, the first book, where we were writing from different perspectives, we all we decided, I think, at that point, that this was going to be the second book in that series. And when the first book didn't sort of materialise, then there was all sorts of things wrong wrong with it. Then we just said, okay, let's just move on to the next one and come back to that one if we need to. So we we always knew this was the second one, but it ended up being the first one. Okay. I think that's so, pretty much again, it. Is that how you remember yeah, it? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that I think about it, yeah, it's, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a long time Well, that's just what I I love hearing. You know, is uh, we do these things. I'll give you an example. There's a, a restaurant in my neighborhood that. Uh, in the summertime, is the most beautiful gardens. I mean, and I steal from this uh, individual in the sense that I don't actually physically take the plants, but I watch her choice of plants, her choice of positioning and design, and, and so she's been kind of my hero. Uh, and then one day I walked by her, uh, it was in the wintertime, and she was taking greens 
cuttings from um, you know the, the, the Christmas trees, and she was arranging them in the front of this uh, this restaurant. And she was doing a beautiful job, and I said, "Wait a minute, are you the one that?" And she said, "Yes." I said, "Oh, I said, well, how, how how did you get to have a business like this?" She says, "Oh, it's not a business." She says, "I'm a waitress here." I said, yeah. "So I said, do they pay you?" She goes, "No, they just buy the flowers. I do all the arranging because I love it." And so I said to her, I, because I'm very much in touch with what I f- feel I'm looking for in these questions, which is mm. there's a part of us, and, and this is the whole theme of Upbeat with Tom Hayes, is when you start to recognize the part of you that, that is, is, you can't touch, see, feel, that, but is definitely there, that gut, that driving force, that soul, if you want it. When, and so she looked at me, and I said to her, is there any way that you could not do this? In other words, that you could not be a flower designer or a gardener or a landscaper? And she looked at me and she said, no. And I said, do you know why you do it? And she said, no. <laughs> but I can't not do it. <laughs> so yes. I think for the power of the individual and with everything you address, Sarah, about empowering young women and, and teens is when you can tell them to start to feel that component, which obviously, Bronte, you have tapped into at a very early age. I mean, you must feel very empowered. Oh, yeah, definitely. I just feel like, oh, I've got a book and I've done this and I've done the modeling competition. It's just a great feeling to know that the book is out there now. Yeah, I mean, talk about, I mean, going through what I'm going through. You know, I've been, you know, done many you know, achieved many mountains in my life, but this whole novel thing is a whole other world. It's a very challenging one it's in many respects. It's a you know, kind of a lonely one, and also you're really into the unknown. So you and compare the, you know, the challenge of going through the competition to the challenge of actually being published now. I mean, how did they compare? Were they one more difficult than the other, um, one more rewarding than the other, or both gratifying? Yeah, they they definitely both are. Like actually writing the book, it obviously it was really challenging at some point. So I think rewriting and editing got was a lot more frustrating. And so I think that getting it actually published was just a really rewarding experience to have. I'm just uh, so proud of you and to think that you've done it. I mean, it's a huge mountain to climb by the time you're 18. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) you know the process now. (laughs) I mean, do you you sense that? You want to talk about it, Sarah? Well, yeah, I think that... um, You know what? I think everyone reckons they can write a novel. Right. And I just, you know, when someone says, oh, I've got a novel, I think, yeah. <laughs> right. Because I think this is, you know, I've done so many things in my life, and this was, without a shadow of a doubt, the most challenging. It was so hard. Um, and I've got so much respect now for people that do write novels, because I get, you know, how difficult it is, particularly that first one. And we, we I mean, we had no clue what we were doing either, really. I mean, we... we we were sort of floundering around a lot of the time and <laughs> uh, yeah and I, I think that 
it was, you know, it's like people think, okay, so you write them, you know, you write it and that's it. But it's all the other stuff that that comes with that. And, you know, and then looking at the holes in the story, it's very painful. <laughs> I had many, many weeks where I'd, if I'd have seen the word thigh gap one more time, I was probably going to, you know, commit suicide. <laughs> it was just awful, you know. It was, um, it was times where, you know, I thought, God, why? Why on earth did did I start this? Um and, and obviously, while Bronte was writing it, she was doing all her exams at school, um, you know, so it was, you know, actually doing it was, was a real, real challenge. And, and I think that, you know, if anyone's thinking of, of writing a novel, you need to, you know, it's a commitment. Have you had a it's like, it, Well, you know, I think, you know, it's a beautiful thing to do. I'm not going to, you know, lie that, that initial, you know, writing characters that you, you know, that, become real to you you know it's a it's a beautiful thing but also it's a commitment you know it's it's like this is a, a you know a, a commitment it's not just a, oh i want to write a novel <laughs> it's, a, it's um it's a bit more than that <laughs> it's oh it's without a doubt it's the of all the disciplines and things that are happening to me you know comparing it stand-up comedy at that time and you know, I've been doing it for years, but I remember the challenge was it's absolute, the most terrifying thing I ever took on because, again, you're totally exposed, you're alone, you can't run or hide, and you're trying the biggest challenge, trying to make people laugh. And, and again, you have to write the material that you're, you're going to try to convince people to laugh about. But um, this is like crazy because you're right, you, you're writing, all of a sudden, it's magic. I mean, it really is a magic. You're reaching, to me, a place that is magical, where these characters really do exist, and all of a sudden you're swept up and you're seeing words appear on the computer or on the paper, and you're going, wow, who's doing this? <laughs> is it me well, or yeah, something yeah. else? Yeah, and I think a lot of characters write themselves, you know, and, and there were certainly two characters in this. Um, there was Sam and Maddie, who Maddie and Maddie didn't even exist in the, in the very first sort of draft of it, and that's the character that most people adore. And Sam was just a tiny character. But as we kept writing it, it became evident that, that Sam needed a bigger part because um, he was quite a funny character. And, and as we started to write Maddie in, or Bronte started to write Maddie in, she had much more to do with Maddie, I had a bit more to do with Sam, um, Maddie beca- you know, became such an interesting character, and, and we hadn't planned for that. So I think that you know, people talk about planning novels, <laughs> but actually... <laughs> You know, it's like your characters, once you've developed them and got them, they start, you know, demanding. That's you know. true. <laughs> now, and telling you f- what to write. <laughs> exactly. And at all weird times of the day and night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. Bronte, did you, did you have a taste for that before you started this novel? Did you, when you, when you were scribbling and when you were you know, banging away at your keyboard? Did you play with characters? Did you sense this kind of identity that they take on? Or was it? did it come out in the novel? Um, I, I'd written stuff in the past. I remember having this never-ending novel when I was about 13, which is long gone by now. But I don't ever remember feeling this connected to the characters as I did in the Nevermind My Thigh Gap. I think this book is definitely where I've um, 
come to grips with the in terms of uh, character development. Yeah, did you? Uh, I, you had to identify with Alice, did you? Oh yeah, yeah, I did. I identify <laughs> with her, um, <laughs> but it, at the same time, I was a bit like when I remember reading it back and going, "Oh gosh, she's so moany, she's so whiny. Why is she? Why is she doing this?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, she started to get on both of our nerves. She really did that on Facebook. She's very real. She's very uh, female. Let me put it that way. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the pining, the, pining for the, the pining for the boyfriend. I mean, that was hard to write and hard to read. And yeah. people have, have commented, you know, on how much she pines for the boyfriend. But actually, in reality, you know, uh, uh, that's what some teenage girls do do, you know, and they do pine for boys that are not particularly nice to them. So, and that is what she did. And, and you know, hey, <laughs> pain does both <laughs> to do it. <laughs> you know, there was a great, um, you're right. I think the emancipation part of the the growth, obviously, was when she realized that she didn't want to be, with um, the characters drawing him. What's what's his the uh, the first boyfriend's name? Julian. Julian. Yes. When uh, you decide, um, there was one scene <laughs> as a male. You know, I got into big trouble on my. Uh, I have a children's podcast where we have we've developed uh, kind of miraculously another comedian, and I um, started to do little uh, skits and sketches and they worked just magically. I mean, we go into a studio and without anything written and these two characters interact and these crazy stories that get written unedited and then recorded in less than five to eight minutes. And they, they're just, we don't have any idea how they're done, but when you re-listen to them, you find that they're so archetypal male female there uh, it's lucy mm-hmm. and desi it's george burns and gracie allen it's um you know um jackie gleason and allison and, and ralph it's you know that that dynamic that's just there that makes for great stuff and and you you've achieved that in this novel that uh, you know and i really one of the parts i had trouble i just hit my gut with is boy you set julian up with abby that I mean that was a, a torpedo in the boat. <laughs> <laughs> Who wrote that, Mom, or, or was it you, Bronte? Did you write that scene? I think it must have been me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, the, the the yeah. No, I think Bronte wrote that, and then I think I went back with the whole Abbey piece because, uh, yeah, I rem- I'm remembering that now. Yeah, because. Um, I think I think you wrote it initially, and then I I, I added a lot to, to that because I thought, hang on a minute, she she'd really go for it here. She'd be a little bit miffed by this this. And that oh was yeah, Julian Julian didn't know what hit him on that one. He yeah. was he was stunned. He was ruined. And every guy in the world has been there. <laughs> oh yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, I was probably writing it from past experience, possibly. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, he was not going to win that one. I mean, the questions and the setup, you know, oh, she is. I mean, every answer he gave was wrong. He was he was like in quicksand. 
you know. Oh and- yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and we also we what we did we needed um, Julian to shift very early actually, which in the first sort of you know when we were first one it didn't we didn't realize we needed him to shift character so early um and what we'd done is is we hadn't seeded that shift much at all so we had to go back and and seed like little things in that made you realize that julian wasn't all that you know he he appeared to be so um so that was you know so we had to up up that a little bit because we did need him to shift quickly and we needed to make the reader realize that this wasn't a great relationship that was that she was in even though in the first chapter you get tiny maybe glimpses of it but you think oh this is nice you know and everyone adores julian and and then he's suddenly like oh you know <laughs> it's not so nice so we needed to to make the transition a bit easier <laughs> yeah i mean that you know i felt bad for him during that abby scene i said oh <laughs> this guy he's too young to understand what's happening here He's just been, he just got whacked by a two-by-four. And when he walked in that room, it was, you know, and, and to see, um, I, I thought that was a brilliant scene for both of you to come up with because it was something that, you know, any male, female can identify. We've all been there. We've all done it. Yep. And it's, oh, yeah. it was automatic. It was you know, and you guys triggered it just right. It was all based on not only his jealousy, but, you know, also Alice's jealousy. Yes. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that bit until you mentioned it. Yeah, I had quite a lot of fun. We had quite a lot of fun with that bit, yeah. Um, well, that's where Julian bit. starts to come undone. He's, he just got, he was okay up until that <laughs> point. And in, in fact, he got even, to me, I identified with the more, and he'd be, was almost more because he, he looked like a victim at that point. It was only <laughs> after he started to try to manipulate you about the the contest. Yeah, he's you an know. interesting character, Julian, and I, I sometimes feel that you know it'd be interesting to carry out his to to have written it from his side, you know, because you don't hear a lot about what Julian's really thinking. You know, he's he's a catalyst in the whole whole thing, but you don't really see his side and I sit there and think god this boy I mean he's massively screwed up and we don't know actually what's wrong with him <laughs> yeah now what I'm hearing now is that there was there had to be some moments throughout this you know we talk about the work and the challenge and all that but it's there must have been some times you were just having a blast with this yeah yeah there, there yeah. was I mean there's a character called Sam um who we just and, and it's interesting because to us, Sam was the most brilliant favorite character. No one ever mentions him. Um, but because we, we, he was just quite a funny person. And the more we wrote him, the more we realized he was quite hilarious. And, and so we'd write things about him, even though he doesn't appear in a massive. And we'd just be in stitches about, about some of these <laughs> things that Sam had done. And, and, the, and the sort of the image that we had of Sam and what we knew about Sam. Um, but, but no one else sort of rec- remembers Sam. And I'm like, oh, my God, no one remembers Sam. But for, for us, Sam was this, like, hilarious character that gave us, us both a sort of a, a moment to breathe from Alice's moaning. Right. Well, from my take on him, yeah, he was funny and, and things, but he was so uh, aggressive at times that I didn't like him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that was uh, that's interesting. A lot of people have gone, oh, this Sam is like, you know, a weird character. But Sam was, you know, based on, on, on 
on someone that you know we we both people that we both knew and, and you know and he was I just found him a very interesting interesting character because he was like he, he, we could use him as whether we wanted. So if there was something that we needed to shift or change, then Sam was always the one that we brought in to sort of enable that if we didn't want the main characters to do it. So I thought it was always quite an interesting character. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I'm listening here and I'm hearing... It's just fa- I'm just so happy for you guys. I mean, I think you've, you've by doing this project and by, you know, I can really see now you really do live... Um, the unconventional powers, what, what you coach and teach and say, uh, would you say that, Bronte, how do you, would you categorize uh, um, Sarah as an unconventional parent? <laughs> I, I guess so, but because, obviously because I've only had mum as a mum, she's just normal to me, so it's a difficult question to answer, really. <laughs> yeah, but you see other parents and you hear kids talk about their parents. So what's different about Sarah and her approach to parenting? Uh, you know, what, what's I mean, your take on it? Yeah, she's just very sort of, yeah, just sort of do what you want, really. <laughs> um, you, uh, sort of well, I mean, to me, thing. this whole thing, just hearing the both of you talk, it's amazing that you, I mean, how many parents would, uh, uh, especially of teenage daughters, would love to, hear what I'm hearing right now with this thing, but because, <laughs> well, let me just put it this way, mothers uh, have no clue how to bring up a teenage daughter. <laughs> That's what fathers are for. They're there to, to break up the referee, because by this stage, you know, there's such an usually. Usually they can't even begin to have a conversation until the the, the daughter is about 22 or 23. <laughs> and here the both of you took on this massive project, and you worked as a team and achieved the same thing. And just listening to you both talk, I think this is a, you guys have a great relationship. What do you want to say about that, Bronte? Yeah, we, we definitely do. I mean, Mum has always been really close. We've always had this really strong sort of bond and it's really sort of come out over the past few years I think mm. it's you know I, I mean really underneath you know you peel the onion back and it's great you know, talk about the novel and she was there for this but um, this is you guys are exceptional in that you have this kind of relationship you could sit down <laughs> and <laughs> obviously there must have been many times when both of you had opinions on where it should go and where it shouldn't go, especially in a creative process like this, mm-hmm. and you were able to resolve those things. You know, I'm sorry, but a lot of females can't do that. And, and even the characters in your book couldn't do that. I think Maddie, <laughs> Maddie was the closest to it. She, was, she became a true friend, didn't she? Yeah. Maddie was definitely one of the most to write as well as Sam. Yeah, yeah, you liked Maddie. I mean, didn't you, Bronte? Yeah. And everyone actually comments yeah. on Maddie that Maddie's their favourite character. I wasn't a fan of her. I thought she was just a little bit too, like, you know, normal, possibly. I don't know. But um, but she, you know, bro, you know, we needed her in there because she needed to facilitate it. And actually, she did become a good character. But she's the one that most people love, interestingly. Well, she brought such. Um, she was like a keel on a boat. I mean, the boat was just <laughs> floundering. You know, you had. Uh, um, you had Isabel, who really turned out to be a, you know, excuse the word, a bitch. <laughs> she was a manipulating. <laughs> and, uh, you know, in the worst kind, because, 
you know, she truly was a Judas. Mm-mm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, she's the one that's pre- pretending that she's really looking out for you. Underneath, she just wants to see, to sabotage you and see you fail. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, I just heard a, a term, a German word, uh, Schad- Schadenfreude, which is shadow friend translated. Mm. And it's about a friend who is only happy when you are going through misfortune. And yeah. that, that that was Isabel. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, she was definitely the villain in this, this whole thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah she was and always actually, manipulating and plotting, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, we did sit there, actually, with this, with the writer's journey um, really early on in it, making sure we knew which character related to which archetype and therefore what that character needed to do. And I think that was a little bit about when we brought Sam and Maddie in as well, because there were, there were some characters that we, were, that we were missing. So, you know, there is a character in there that relates to each of the archetypes of the, of the writer's journey, definitely. Yeah, I mean, well, again, Sarah introduced me to the writer's journey, and it, I've only read a couple of chapters, but it just was enough to um, set the course for what I'm trying to write. Um, you know, I'm hearing, again, I, you know, I always like to read between the lines. I, I spent many years as a communicator, salesman, manager, and listener, and I pride myself on my listening. And I hear, uh, all I'm getting a sense here for, I have this other talent that I, I have no ownership for because I don't know how I do it, but I can usually, I, I, for example, when the comedy scene here in Boston was huge and produced people like Dennis Leary and... Stephen Wright and Louis C.K. now and blah, blah, blah. Then I've performed with all those people. I could see those individuals that were going to make it because they had the it factor. And I can see an it factor here with you two ladies. Just hearing you uh, communicate this way and talk about the book, uh, I'm, I'm getting a sense that you you guys are going to come up with a sitcom, uh, maybe movie script or something. That is, is that in the works? A sitcom? I don't know. I've never thought of a sitcom. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, yeah, I know. That's interesting. Um, I, there is we a, have talked about uh, scripts I, before, did, haven't we? Yeah, I think there is a script that I, I wrote, but I got a bit confused with it. and then So then I had to go and write the novel to actually unconfuse myself, and so I'm still in that process. Um, there's two more books that we've got on the way at the moment that are very different from each other and also very different from the thigh gap. Um, so that's what Bronte's working on at the moment. Um, there is, yeah, I mean, sitcom I've never thought of. Maybe. Who knows? I wouldn't know where well, to Well, I mean, your characters, hey. yeah, but I mean, this whole thing, um, you know, whether you call it a sitcom or a drama or whatever, it was... Um, it had all the components. I mean, much better written. I mean, better dialogue, better characters, uh, um, more meaningful. But, you know, I could see many times in reading the book, I could see the movie. You know, I could see the nightclub yeah. scenes. I could see, you know, these teenagers. Um, so, I mean, I think even this book could become, I'm quite serious, I think this book could definitely become a movie. Yeah. I think, yeah, um, yeah definitely. And, 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 and I think that... And we were talking about how we're different writing. When I write, I see it as the movie first in my head. I'm not going to yeah, lie. Well, yeah, you and I yeah. both have a, an affinity for movies. Yeah, so um, 
so every time that we're, you know, so I'll take the nightclub scene, for example, because you, you mentioned that there. So I think, you know, when Bronte wrote it, what I then went in is made sure that we wrote it so you could see it. Um, you know, because to me, it's like if I can't see it, you know, as as it would be on a on a on a film, then you know, then it doesn't it doesn't exist. So you know that, that I'm always thinking, how would this look if it was made into a film? And I think that you know that enables us to add some sort of different elements to it um, that that might not not be there. And and I you know that I'm not going to lie, that is exactly how I I think. But I'm not sure you do so much, Bronte, do you? You you write as in write. It's me that adds that bit. <laughs> Or am I wrong? I could be yeah, wrong. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm. More, I'm more. I'm more. See the actual stories. But I do like play out the images in my head, but I don't see it as film first. I just see it as an actual book. Right. Yeah, but, and I but think. They, yeah. But the images come out no matter what the both of you do. It comes out. The reader sees it. Yeah, you know, absolutely. That's a, that's a special would, gift. Yeah. Yeah, I think few of the reviewers have said, you know, that the way that they set it up, that you can absolutely see it and that you think think that you're there and, and that's really, you know, important. I think the other day, actually, Bonte, weren't we having a conversation about something to do with one of the characters in one of the new books? And, and we said, okay, so if it was a film, how would this play out on screen? And that helped us sort, sort it out. I can't exactly remember what it was now. But, yeah, I mean, often that that's, you know where we have to go to 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 sort out some of the problems. <laughs> well, I, that's what I'm sensing here. I'm sensing a real. This wasn't just a a lock. It wasn't just let's see if we can do this and then go on with different, uh, you know, the, the, your different lives. Uh, and what I'm hearing now is that you. <laughs> and again, uh, <laughs> you know, we know that there's a. De- I know a feel for my life anyway. I'll, you know, there's a destiny. It took me a long time to understand that. And, um, you know, to to be doing things that I don't know why or how I got there, or but they, I was on a totally different course that I took. My mind, you know, and ego took me on totally different courses that I'm on now, and I'm hearing that with you guys. I, I'm sensing a real strong commitment to continue to do this, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. We've got two more books planned that we're going to work together on and excited for it yeah beautiful yeah I, no i'm i'm yeah, serious I, mean, I sense i sense a mm. i sense film here i think this sarah this is your uh your jump into one of your passions um yeah i'm, that, I'm game i'm game <laughs> yeah 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 i mean this is the yeah. this is huge this is huge and i can't I, wait I think, to yeah. to follow this story um, what would you like to do? Would you like to, I mean, keep, uh, you know, Sarah, I guess this is a great teen, teen story. Do you think it, you got out in this story, it certainly came together in the last chapters, the messages mm-hmm. you wanted to, to give to teens? I mean, do you think, can you use this book as kind of a guidebook for what teens? Um, yeah, well, that was always, you know, my my reason for wanting to write books is slightly different than Bronte's, um, and that is that you know I absolutely believe that when you write a book with with an underlying journey or a message in it, that um, you can get it out to more more young people than I ever could doing the work that I do now. And what I 
felt and, and still feel quite strongly actually is in the teen market that we we don't that a lot of the books you know don't create real characters you know they don't look at real struggles they, everything's like a bit sanitized sometimes and um and i and i think that what we created was a character that is very real and actually you know it's almost like i, I always think of the phrase you know if alice can do it anybody can do it um because she looks like such an unlikely character to do what she does and if she can do that what else could a young person do in that was reading it um and yeah i think that that comes across i think some people you know they won't they'll read it and not get that but that's fine it's only meant to speak to the people that need to need to hear that message exactly um you know in you don't understand the fear, you know, that this is really her mountain, wasn't it, Bronte? Mm. Was the, she overcame. The yeah. Fear was the mountain that she overcame. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Do you feel that you've done two, I mean, I can only imagine you, you, you I, I, I loved your, you're not only a great fiction writer, but your your um, article in the Hutchinson, Hutchington um Post. Really, <laughs> yeah, it really hit me on the introvert. I never I understood so. that. You know, it's so easy to judge. You go like, what's what's her problem? Why don't she talk? <laughs> 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 and then you 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 gave a little. I certainly, you know, I have. Um, it's a tough one to comprehend. I can't even begin to imagine a, a classroom full of just introverts. Boy, what would that what would that be like? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the introverts would be really happy with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Drive the teacher crazy. <laughs> uh, but so you write extremely well, and you've obviously overcome a lot of obstacles. But um, do you feel now you have? By taking on these challenges, you have more courage. What's your relationship with fear now? Um, I always like Mum always tells me to go back to oh, if you can walk up in front of a cat, well, you can do this. And it's just it, so I always still get a bit fearful and nervous when I do new things. But definitely because I did the competition, it's definitely helped me deal with it a lot better and let me know that it is going to be okay and it's going to turn out to be a good thing. Yeah, and how about what has the novel done for you in terms of fear? Oh yeah, writing a novel has just sort of changed sort of the whole stretch of everything. Like it's made me a lot more patient with a lot of things, definitely. Um, and it just made me sort of know what I want to do because now, obviously, that we're finished, I'm working on a new one. I'm just thinking like I can't think of anything else I'd rather do with my life than write these books. Well, you know, you, 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 again, everything happens for a reason, and you know, I'm a big proponent. Even though I have a couple of, I have a degree and an advanced degree, and I'm all about learning and reading, and you know, broadening yourself on and exposing yourself to all kinds of, you know, travel and, and intellectual advancement, et cetera. And but I am very, very, especially in America, I'm very anti higher education right now. Um, and even though I've, I, you know, been a professor, et cetera, because to saddle kids with a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars of debt right off the 
get get go, and they have no idea at the end of that what they really want to do in life. And what you've really done is put them in a cubicle, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and for two hundred thousand dollars, they got misery. Uh, yeah. So yeah. here you are, um, you know, you've got this under your belt, and you've learned this skill set at the age of 18, and, and I see also that you you, you want to be an actress. So what would you, are you going to go on to higher education, or you're gonna, what are you going to do? I'm in university at the moment studying to, for creative writing and publishing, which is helping me become a better writer every week we get our stuff um workshop and looked at by the other students and they tell us how we can improve stuff it's always helping me improve my writing which is with, with stuff that I never thought I needed to improve on and then you get your lecturers and other students saying oh this could be better and it's just sort of making my writing a lot better every day so but you that you're exceptional in that you know what you want to do <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so it is beneficial for you then to continue yeah, yeah, it's definitely beneficial, yeah. Great. Well, yeah, you know, there's, I a whole, like... there's a whole other ra- radio show we could do on all of that, Dove, I tell you. Oh, yeah, I know, a... God, we could. <laughs> yeah, we I could... mean, we decided, yeah, we decided that, you know, university was about making you really good at what, what you wanted to do for the rest of your life, and Bronte wanted to write, so we found the best university she could go to to help her, her do that, and she just couldn't be happier and more... At home, actually, I think she's found her place. <laughs> yes. Fantastic. Well, no, you're you're one of the blessed because, you know, the sad part is is this epidemic of kids who got kind of, excuse the expression, they got screwed. You know, they they got all they ended up with was a ton of debt, and you know, mm-hmm. uh, with no direction yeah. and, and no um, resolve. So that's bravo for you. And also, uh, are you taking? You must be taking drama and acting lessons. Yes. No, 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 I'm not. Oh, I only okay. took, um, drama uh, when I was in uh, compulsory education, really. Oh, okay. But do you do you want to do that as well, or are you going to focus on the writing? Um, who, who knows? It might be at some point in my life <laughs> where I might decide, hmm, you know what, let's try some acting. But at the moment, I'm all right with writing. <laughs> Well, you yeah, know, I think, I think the younger one, yeah, it's the younger one that's more likely to go that direction. I think she's she is already yeah. dramatic. <laughs> well, you know, I um, by seeing you know achievements like um, Downton Abbey, etc., and you know that I've become more attuned as I watch movies, etc. It's really isn't it interesting that most times when you see the credits, written and directed by. That it is the writer who gets to direct. Yeah, that would be pretty cool to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I can sense that with you guys. I really can. Again, I can't, it's not something I can quantify, but I, people come to me. Every person I predicted that would go to the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson called me, and I did it a year or two before they got there. They would call me up and say, How did you know? And I said, I don't know how I know, but I knew that that, that, that was a perfect fit. And I'm, I'm going to go on record with my <laughs> with my skill set and say that I see, you know, Sarah Newton and, and Bronte Huskinson as uh, a team that writes a lot of uh, uh, films and uh, not only novels. And I can see you guys uh, producing some great movies. 
Well, we're cool with that if you know anyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, well, what you're going to do by these books is you're going to um, draw some attention to yourself. Let's hope so. That would be very cool. Yeah. We quite like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, again, you know, <clears throat> you know, without getting too heady, you know, or too ethereal, again, this is the part that I have come to become aware of, and I think you, Sarah, do this so well with your teaching and your coaching is, you know, if we're going to talk about real power, there's, you know, you have to make individuals aware that there's a component to them that they can't see or touch that is where their real power is. And when they, they go with it as opposed to fighting it. And what came out in your novel was, this is what Alice did. Alice stopped listening to where she, where she really started to change as a character and really started to get results was when she stopped all of the outside noise and more mm-hmm. paid more attention to her inside. Am I right on that? Well, I would say absolutely, yeah. When she cuts yeah. out the toxic people that are, uh, you know, and not, you know, supporting her and actually starts to think, what is it that I want? Yeah, that's definitely when, you know, when she changes, definitely. Yeah, and to honor that part of yourself that wants those things and not to fall to conventionality. Yeah, you know, absolutely. You know, I think even, you know, what Alice does is a, is a hard thing in the book and when Bronte did it in really li- real life, you know, stepping out and doing doing that was not easy, not just the walking down the catwalk, but actually... You know, telling your friends what you're doing, and and you know, it was all, there was all sorts of stuff around it. Yeah, and it's it's honoring again that um, let's just call it that in, invisible side of yourself, the deep side of yourself, mm. and honoring that and trusting that. You know, whenever I talk to friends or <clears throat> people that just come into my path and they've tell me they've made a huge error in their life, uh, and or even a minor error that was just totally got blown up and i always say to them let me ask you a question <laughs> did you hear a little voice before you did that and 100 percent of the time nobody wants to talk about this little voice because if you've got little voices in your head you're crazy but it's not so much a voice but it is a something speaking to you and i'll say before you did it did something say to you don't do it and they would go mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and i go but you did it anyway yeah, and you go, why did you do it? Well, I didn't trust it. And mm. what I've learned to do, and I think what I think Alice did in this book, is she learned to really listen to that part of herself. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so yeah, I mean, she did. very Thank, powerful. Thankfully, she stopped moaning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the quotes that I loved at the end were, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. And those were the wise words of Nelson Mandela. Mm-hmm. Yes. And yeah, I remember that bit. That's his speech at the end. Yep, yep. We liked writing that bit. Yeah, and it goes on. It says, if you told me at the beginning, this is Alice talking, right? Mm-hmm. If you told me at the beginning of year 12 I would be standing here giving a speech as I leave sixth form with three A grades, I would have laughed at you and fainted. I am sure a lot of you think it is easy for me to stand here addressing you, but let me tell you it isn't. I'm petrified. 
However, <clears throat> what my school, what school, my friends, my studies taught me is that if it's worth it, it's going to scare you. Beautifully done. Then you say, mm-hmm. o- o- Omar and Bradley once said, bravery is the capacity to perform properly, even when scared half to death. And then Alice says, that is the wish for all of us sitting here, the wish that we can find the bravery to keep going when it's tough, to keep going even if we can't see the end, and to keep going even when we're scared. I paused to catch my breath. There were so many times in these two years when I wanted to run away, throw in the towel, settle for an easy, ordinary life, but I didn't. I kept going. I got over my fears and I think became a better person in the process. Here I am about to jet off to Paris. Crazy. I guess little meek, shy Alice didn't do so bad for herself after all. I would like to thank my family, my friends, and teachers for your unwavering support of me. I will leave you with the words of Winston Churchill. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. <laughs> May you all find the courage to continue. I mean, I wanted to give the book a standing ovation when I read that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that, was, that was me at my best there, you see. <laughs> and that really, uh, that sums up the book, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, perfectly. Yeah. And what a great message to give to teens. I think um, this is a very powerful book and uh, and very real because, you know, there's times when I just rolled my eyes at Alice. She's just like, oh, my God, did you really set the guy up that way? You know, you just not only brought him disaster, you just you just screwed yourself. You know, you just brought so much drama into your life. And, oh, and, yeah. And, and I think it was great to see Alice um, learn to like Oscar, which was, I think, mm. what we were trying to do there with that. Mm. Well, I think it was so, yeah. I think it was more of a Alice has sort of been in her own little bubble without even thinking about anything else outside her own little world, and Oscar sort of made her realise that people that she shouldn't judge people just for how they come across and they can actually be pretty cool people. Yeah, do you think yeah, that's you a... know what? Go ahead. Yeah, no, the, the thing that always comes to my mind when I think of Oscar, and I know it's a bit random, I don't even know if I've told you this, Bronte, but um, I always <laughs> think of that Avril Lavigne song, you know, about the skater boy, you know? Oh, uh, yeah, I think... I think <laughs> you know, he wasn't I good think enough you for you, that. and... Yeah, and 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 sort of Oscar is the, you know, the skater boy who sort of, you know, you know, even though he's not a skater, but he's at the school, and and there Alice is, you know, beautiful Alice with her gorgeous best friend and her Donnie's boyfriend, and and Oscar's like the absolute opposite of of anything that Alice would have ever sort of had in her life. So, you know, it, it, there's a little bit in there, although it's you know it's not as obvious about not judging people by how they how they look because you know that actually you know maddie and oscar and it are an interesting pairing you know <laughs> they're not people that yeah. you would normally put alice with yet they're the people that support her to to come through the challenge yeah and i think that you know to me you know from what i've seen in life and and just people and especially uh, in the male-female war battle dynamic, 
so many people do the Alice Julian thing and stay stuck in it forever, whether it's Julian mm-hmm. or some other archetype. They always continue to pick, you know, the person around them who doesn't uh, see their value or doesn't, you know, um, support them. And so they yeah. c- continue to repeat these patterns throughout their life and and just get caught up in, the, in all of it. And yet the, for Alice... To me, it seemed there was a major breakthrough here, and so all of a sudden, looking past the appearances and saying, "Wow, what do I want? Do I want the drama of a relationship with uh, a Julian, no matter whether it's Julian or somebody else, or do I want to make a choice and explore the possibilities of a healthy, wholesome relationship with the guy that I'm not necessarily turned on by right now?" Yeah, you know, I think I think you know there was, um, you know, uh, the Julian relationship, and a few people have commented on that actually as well. You know, it's real. You know, I I see girls doing that all the time. Um, you know, staying in those those rela- relationships. So, I, I, and I think that, and dis- and dismissing something that doesn't look like it's their cup of tea. But yeah, I think that was important for Alice to to make that that sh- that shift really and to sort of recognize that it's what's on the inside that's more important you know As what i see and here others, actually w- yeah. without being obstreperous or a meddlesome here <laughs> what i see here uh sarah and also bronte i see here a workshop a book uh an accompanying book which you, it takes all of the characters and all of the, the experiences and all of the uh, the hurdles and, and the victories and is an accompanying, um, you know, kind of a teaching manual that goes mm-hmm. with it because, you know, a lot of people will brush by that, but, you know, in my conversations with women who've left abusive relationships, they always they talk about that part that you see in the book here is that they had to get used to nice <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and you know the the accompanying workbook or whatever has definitely been something on my mind because I think there's quite a few issues that that could be explored from, from the book, definitely. Oh yeah, it's a it's a great mm-hmm. example to pull them out and wake people up and say this is what's really going on here, and this is you know use this as a, a template for your life. Do you want to be you know, the Alice that stays stuck in the drama, or do you want to be the Alice that becomes the heroine and grows and and overcomes mm-hmm. those fears and and, and and chooses a better life? Yeah. Do you want to be a burrito of sadness for the rest of your life, hey? <laughs> <laughs> well, My you favorite know, line from the whole book, yeah, I am a burrito <laughs> of sadness, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, this is. Um, I'm so happy for you both. I mean, did you uh, did you self publish this, or did it get um, picked up? Um, yeah, we, we self published. Yeah, we self published it. it. We we almost got it to an agent, um, but there were a few things they wanted to change, and we really didn't want to change them at that point because it was so good for you. Good for you. No, yeah. don't, don't. You know, I'm at that point myself where. People are telling me I should go on Shark Tank or something. And I said, no, that would be very ugly because I'm not going to, <laughs> I'm not going to pander <laughs> anymore. Uh, you know, what I write is what I write, and what I do is what I do. And um, 
you know, when you see the greats, it, it's always the greats who stuck by their convictions and didn't pander for the money uh, mm-hmm. or, or the other publications. So great. Well, I am so happy for both of you. I think I, I learned a lot by by reading the book, and uh, it's always fun, Sarah, and to see to hear. You know, it's one thing that, you know, <laughs> one of the things, and I think, Sarah, you'll agree, you know, there's so many people out there selling, um, you, you know, inspiration and motivation and coaching, et cetera. And then you look at their personal lives, and it's totally contrary to everything that they <laughs> preach. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> excuse me, but what I hear here is... Um, you know, the fruit of your work. I mean, you have this great gal here who's, uh, uh, you know, well-adjusted and, and uh, went through some real challenges. Uh, I think one of the things you and I talked about the last time is that we try to protect our kids from any adversity, yet it's the adversities that present the opportunities to grow and to, you know, really become, you know, self-actualized and you know, I sense that here. So, uh, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, so she's all right, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bronte, I want you to, to, you can say a few encouraging words about your mom. <laughs> you know, it's okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be, I'm going to be that teacher that doesn't honor the introvert right now and ask you to, <laughs> to give us in a couple of sentences what you think of mom and her style. Oh gosh! I can find the words to describe her in a few sentences. I'm so special. She couldn't sum me up. That's I think that's what she's saying. <laughs> All right, I won't be, I won't be too severe. But um, you know, I can just sense by your silence um, that there's some deep feelings there. Do you feel blessed? Let me put it this way. Do you feel blessed to have a mom like you have? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I would definitely have turned out a different person if I didn't have my mom as my mom. (laughs) I mean, my biggest legacy is that my two daughters tell me, Dad, you're so unlike all of the other fathers. You let us be who we wanted to be. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely the same with mom. Great. Well, that's all I have, ladies. It was a great show. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. It's, it's really nice to, to be read the, read the book. No one's read the book to us. That was quite nice. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. I knew there was something special here. I, And, you know, I, I took time away from my novel to read your book, so that's how important it was to me. But it's, oh, um, you know, I'm... It's one thing, I mean, I just, you know, again, I don't know why, but I love to see success in people. I love to see people actualize themselves, nothing. People always say to me, why do you care (laughs) how other people, (laughs) I don't know why, but I do. I think it's because, one, everybody that succeeds, as far as I'm concerned, means that not only is it a better world, because you have happy people producing and creating things that are, beneficial to all of us but it also tells all of us who want to be successful that it's possible Mm -hmm. and you know sarah what you've done here is you know there's so many coaches and you know gurus and 
whatever you want to call it, who preach these things. But then when you look at them, and you know, and uh, um, even especially this is one of my complaints about higher education was a lot of those teachers have never published <laughs> you know they've never done they just they instead of doing they teach and um but you've done it yep i'm a doer <laughs> that's great that's great. great well that's all the questions i have and i was most entertaining and um I, each time we talk i i think um you know sarah and i would just keep you know, peeling the onion, and uh, it's a great relationship, and um, you're, you're doing great work. I really admire you, and now to see the fruit of what you've done in your daughter, uh, I hope that we continue, and someday, a couple of years down the road, we talk about the first film. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, Best really, don't. Anyone I, listening? We're, we're game with a... Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I hope that you... I really do. I hope that that becomes uh, part of your psyche that um, you know that you understand that you can. You certainly have something here. I mean, not to put it in this context, but if you look at all of the garbage that's out there, <laughs> and then you see something like you've written, um, you know, it already holds its place in in um, in, in in stature. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Right. Wonderful. Well, I can't wait to to read the next few. <laughs> Good. Well, we'll <laughs> Great. And any time you, um, I, I'm honored that you chose me to to interview the both of you. And uh, you know the it, you know the the lines are open any time you want to discuss anything because I think we uh, I grow by the, these conversations and I hope the listeners do. And um, you know I think it's a you know it's a great process. Okay. Great. Thank you well, very, very much. And, oh, thank, um, you, thank you, and have a beautiful uh, day, and uh, continue with this beautiful path. Great. Thank you very much. Uh, oh, thank, thank you. Thank Take you. care. Bye. Nice meeting you, Bronte. Bye. All right, bye-bye. You too. Bye. And that's it, my uh, conversation with two aspiring and actual authors, mother-daughter team from the U.K., uh, Bronte Huskinson and Sarah Newton, and I hope you enjoyed the show. I had a, it's always a challenge and always fun and um, just great stuff, and thank you for being there. Take care.